This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. In my own uh, spiritual life as a young Christian, I came to know, I think about the ministry of MAF quite early on. And that was when I was reading the biography of Jim Elliott. So it was the very first missions biography I ever read uh, as a young Christian, and it had a tremendous impact on my life, so much so that I named, we named our firstborn son after Jim Elliott. And obviously one of uh, Jim Elliott's colleagues was a pilot, uh, Nate Saint, and he was the one that flew that yellow aeroplane and enabled them to reach uh, the Alka Indians. Okay, so, I mean, as a young Christian, all this was, was, was new and all so exciting, uh, but I would tell many people uh, many years later that apart from the Bible, uh, that book had one of the most uh, greatest impact on my life. Because as a young Christian, all I thought about was, okay, this is what God did for me, and as a Christian, this was me receiving salvation from God, and oh, that was a great thing. But in seeing uh, the lives of these young men, totally abandoned uh, for the cause of the gospel, and and in all this, uh, God calling them, God using them, it gave me uh, a bigger perspective, wider perspective, that our God is not just about you know, blessing me, but he has a plan to save the lost. And so that was uh, <clears throat> truly a blessing to uh, know that, and not just know that, but to be a part of that. As Christians, we are all part of that. And since uh, today is uh, you know, the Missionary Aviation Fellowship coming to share with us, I want to begin with uh, an airplane aviation-related uh, metaphor. And that is, when we look at the world around us, it could be like uh, someone who is unfamiliar to airplanes and airports and going for the first time to you know, a, a busy airport like Changi Airport. And if you're there for the first time, you will be uh, amazed at all the activity. And there's so many you know, bags, uh, trolleys, you know, cars and planes landing. And you would think, okay, it, it's so busy, it's so chaotic. You know, what if something... Uh, the planes don't land, you know, they land at the same time, crash into one another. I mean, is, is, there, is there some order to this? Okay, so on that ground and street level, it looks chaotic. It looks as if things are just haphazardly happening. But then if you get the opportunity to be brought up to the control tower, ah, and there, from the vantage point, you see that actually, in fact, there is an order to everything. Okay, there are people working behind the scenes to make sure the planes are landing uh, safely and one after another. You know, there, there's some sense to all the, the trucks and all the, um, the vehicles going around. Now what we're having here in uh, Revelation 4 and 5 is an opportunity for us to be taken from this world's street level perspective and brought up as it were to the control tower where behind the scenes now we get to see the one who is in control, the one who is ordering all things. We're going to see why there is purpose and design 
that things that happen in this world, though senseless and chaotic and haphazard, are not ultimately so. Uh, so please join me in prayer as we ask God to help us as we consider these two chapters. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for what we have already received this morning. So much encouragement, so much uh, reminder, the privilege and joy that we have as your people. And the challenge that still remains of taking the gospel out. The challenge that falls to our generation and the generations that will come after us. Father, please encourage us from your word. Please open our eyes, enlarge our vision. Help us to see that you are in control, that your purposes will be done. And Father, please work in our hearts that we may know what you would have us do, what you want us to be doing with the talents and resources and opportunities, uh, the life that you have given to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So John, uh, the Apostle John, uh, beloved Apostle of Jesus, he's writing this and he's been given this vision and he tells us in chapter 4 that he sees a door Standing, in, standing open in heaven, which means he gets now an opportunity to glimpse into heaven. Okay, and what does he see? <clears throat> and at once he says he sees a throne. A throne in heaven with someone seating on it. And now it's no surprise that the one who's seated on the throne is God himself. But what may come as a surprise is that as John shares his vision, John does not actually describe the one who is seated on the throne. Now, what will happen is that John will actually describe what's happening around the throne. He doesn't actually describe the one who is on the throne. Now, I think one reason for that is because God is too glorious, too high and mighty, too too other for John to, to describe. So what he does is he describes what's happening around the throne for us to get a sense of how great and holy and awesome the one who is on the throne truly is. So he begins by saying that the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. And so this is, you know, imagine precious stones and bright light shining from it. You know, just that, just that light and beauty. He's trying to capture something of the glory and beauty of this God. And then he says, a rainbow shone like an emerald and circled the throne. Now, when was the last time we heard about uh, rainbows in the Bible? And that would be all the way back at the beginning of our Bible overview series when we looked at Noah. And how God in mercy made a covenant with Noah that he would never judge the earth this way again. And so the rainbow is a reminder of God's mercy, his grace. And that's the rainbow that encircles the throne. And then we're told in verse 4 that there were 24 other thrones that encircled this throne. Now this is a way of saying that throne in heaven that's in the center, it is so great that there are other thrones surrounding it. And so the people who are seated on that, you know, 24 thrones, they are dressed in white, they had crowns of gold, you know, a picture of purity and of authority. 
but again, the, the point is that these thrones, 24 thrones in themselves glorious and, and, and majestic, simply add to the aura and greatness of the throne that is in the middle. And in verse 5, John tells us, From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing, and these are the seven spirits of God. Now, I think in God's providence, it's uh, raining today, and uh, we are reminded of the force of nature. Thankfully, it is not a typhoon. But back in the first century when John is writing, uh, the greatest display of power is when nature is unleashed. I mean, this was before nuclear power. And so for John and his audience, you know, nature, you know, the thunder, the lightning unleashed, right? You talk to any MAF pilot, you know, flying through the storm, I mean, it's scary, right? Uh, because that was the greatest show of power. And so John sees the, the lightning, the, the thunder, because the one who is seated on the throne is powerful. And then he sees in front of the throne there was a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And the point of the sea is to show the gulf between John and the throne. You do not just approach the throne, there is a distance. There's a gulf between the one who is on the throne and everyone else. Now what's happening in chapter 4 is that John is setting the stage. Okay, he's setting the stage for the drama that he would uh, tell us in chapter 5. So, the stage that he sets in chapter 4 is, I mean, uh, stage is an uh, uh, understatement. Well, this is the throne room of God, and the person who is seated right at the center is God himself, glorious, Beautiful, merciful, powerful. And around him, the 24 thrones uh, that add to his glory, add to his authority. So this is the, the stage. And John continues to develop uh, that scene when he tells us that around the throne were four living creatures. And the four living creatures, one is a lion, one is an ox, one's a man, the one looks like a flying eagle, Okay. Now, the meaning of these four living creatures, I think, uh, we can discern by a saying that uh, you know, happened in the, the second century, which was, the greatest of the wild animals is the lion. The greatest of the domesticated animals is the ox. The greatest of the flying animals is the eagle. And the greatest of them all is man. So these four living creatures, if you like, represent all of creation, all of God's animate creation. Okay? And they are there before the throne. And verse 8 tells us that day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So the four living creatures that represent all of animate creation, they are there and day and night, unceasingly, they are praising and worshipping the one who is on the throne. And then verse 9 tells us that whenever these four living creatures give glory and honour the one who is on the throne, the 24 elders 
uh, they take the cue from the, the four living creatures and they, they stand up, they throw their crowns before him and they bow before the one who is on the throne and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Now this is a scene where, I mean, if you put it on endless loop, you know, it would seem quite ridiculous. I know the living creatures praise and then the, the 24 elders stand up, throw their crowns down and then they bow down. And then when the four living creatures praise again, they go, okay, then they pick out their crowns, put up, sit down and then stand up, throw down again. Okay, so if you play it on, you know, an endless loop like that, it, it sounds ridiculous. It looks ridiculous. But what John's point is in being given this vision is to show us just how much the one who is seated on the throne deserve the honor and praise and worship that is given him. And all those around him, their, their, their response instinctively, compelled as it were by the glory of the one on the throne, is to give this worship, throw their crowns down, because their, their authority is, is a delegated one, it comes from him. And so they, they recognize that the one who has all authority, the one who deserves all praise and power, is the one who is seated at the throne in the center. And verse 11 tells us why he deserves that honor and worship. It says that, right? You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things. Now, before we move on to how the drama unfolds in chapter 5, I think this is a great place to just pause and, and, and reflect on the fact that if God is truly the one who has created all things, then all of us who are his creatures, can you see that the four living creatures here and the 24 elders, in a sense, they are showing us that the right response if you are a creature, if you are someone who has been made by this glorious and great creator, the, the, the right response is to give him worship. That, As, as it were, the, the purpose of our lives is found when we honor and worship the one who made us. That The purpose of our lives is not found in accumulating more or just running after our, our, our petty little dreams, chasing our small ambitions. No, the purpose of our lives are found when we worship and adore and honor the one who made us. For he created us with this purpose. Now, like I said, as glorious as chapter 4 is, it is John setting the scene, setting the stage. There's no drama that happens here. This is, this is the stage. Okay, the drama will unfold when we come to chapter 5. So moving on to chapter 5 now, John tells us that he, that he saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. So in the right hand, of the one who is seated on the throne, this scroll. So a scroll, you know, it's this parchment rolled up, um, you know, with, with a wooden stick in the middle. And he has seven seals. 
Okay, so most likely it's wax, a wax seal, and then the imprint of the, you know, the emblem on the on the ring, you know, pushed into the the hot wax, and then it dries, and so there are seven seals holding it shut. Okay. And the question is, what is this uh, scroll? Now, from the context of Revelation, what is contained in the scroll is God's purposes. God's purposes for judgment, God's purposes for blessing. Okay, all written in that scroll that is written in the front and in the back. So, in that scroll, it contains his purposes for blessing and for judgment. And it is sealed with seven seals. Okay? And so the angel is asking, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Now, the, the act of opening the seals, breaking the seals, opening a scroll, is not simply to see what's inside. Okay, in the context of the first century, the actual opening of the scroll by breaking the seals comes with it the authority to enact, to execute what's written inside. So not just knowing what's inside, the breaking of the seals and opening of the scroll is also to execute what's written in it. And as I've said, what's written in it is the purpose of God for blessing and for judgment. But notice what happens in verse 3. John tells us, No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Now for those of us who have gone through, as Carlson reminded us, 10 months, 10 months of the Bible overview where we've come up against you know, God making His promises and then we've seen how you know, at so many points because of the Israelite sin, you know, God's, God's purpose for His promise could not be fulfilled but yet God, you know, unrelenting, He's determined to make His, His promises come true. And so John, obviously, he knows. He's fully aware of God's purpose, God's, God's promises that he has made to Abraham, you know, uh, Moses and, and David. And so now, contained in that scroll, God's purposes. But no one, no one was found worthy to slit the seals open and thus enact and execute God's promises. And so, so He's crying, he's weeping, because then, then what will happen? How will God fulfill his promises? How will God's purposes be accomplished if there's no one worthy who can slit the seals, open the scroll, and execute God's purposes? But as John is crying, verse 5, he hears a voice. One of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and his seven seals. Now, I think our church is in a great position because the references, the lion of the tribe of Judah, we've actually come across in our Bible overview. Uh, you might remember it in Genesis 49 when... Uh, 
the, the, the aged Jacob is, is blessing his sons and he says to Judah, you know, you, right, from uh, you, Judah, are like a lion and from your tribe will come you know, the one who will reign. And so the reference is taken from there, uh, Genesis 49. And then the root of David, uh, the reference is taken from Isaiah 11, talking about the, the one that will come from David's line, the one that God promised would reign and, and reign on David's throne forever. And so the angel is using these references and saying, look, the lion, the root of David, he has triumphed, and because he has triumphed, he is able to break the seals, he is able to open the scroll, he is able to execute God's promises. And then verse 6, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, and circled by the four living creatures and the elders. And so the question is, eh, what's happening? I thought, the angel said, look, the lion, right? But when John sees, he sees a lamb. So is it two creatures or, or what? What's happening? Now, this is how Revelation works. When John hears about the lion, he's hearing about it through his ears. The, the, the angel says, look, right? Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. But, but John is only hearing Ah, the lion. But when John sees with his eyes, he sees the lamb. Now this is Revelation's way of telling us that the one who is at the center of uh, uh, the throne, the one who is beside God seated on the throne, is both the lion and the lamb. He is the lion who is the reigning, conquering one, the one who will reign on David's throne, the one who will execute God's purposes but he is also the lamb. The lamb looking as if it had been slain. And how do you look as if you had been slain? Well, you do that by being slain and then coming to life again. That's how the lamb can be standing, looking as if it had been slain. Now, who in the Bible has gone through death? and been raised to life again, and now sits on David's throne and will reign forever. Now, answer, of course, is clear. This is talking about Jesus. This is Revelation's way of graphically talking about the one who is lion, triumphant, reigning king, but also the lamb, the one who has sacrificed, given his life for us, and now risen back to life again. And so, uh, the... The angel says, he is the one who has triumphed. And because he has triumphed, he is the one who is able to open the scroll and to break the seven seals. Now, turn with me to verse 9, and you will see uh, what is it that the lamb is worthy to do. So after the lamb takes the scroll, the 24 elders, the four living creatures, they all sing a new song. And what is the song they sing? They sing to the Lamb, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. So the way this lion has triumphed is not through conquering and you know uh, beating everyone into submission. 
The way he has triumphed is because he was slain. This lion that as a lamb, sacrificial lamb, was slain. And why was he slain? He was slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. And so because this lion lamb was slain, and by his sacrificial death, he has triumphed. And by his sacrificial death, he is the one who is worthy, worthy to accomplish God's purposes, to fulfill God's promises. And what is God's purpose? What is God's promise? Well, it's captured for us here that by the Lamb's blood, by His sacrificial blood, by the Lamb standing in the place of sinners, taking their sin, taking the judgment that they deserve, the Lamb was able to purchase for God people from every tribe and language and people and nation and make them to be priests. Give them the authority and the right and the privilege to be in the presence of God for them to be God's people in His kingdom. And because of what the Lamb has done, because of what the Lamb has done, the work of people like uh, Bill and his colleagues, the, the ministry of MAF, as they enable missionaries, Bible translators, to go to these far-flung tribes. It is not for nothing. Yes, all this money, all these resources, why not, why not just use the, the money and use the human resources and, and bring them to, to the, the, the big cities, the mega cities? Surely there, there, there are you know, millions there who have yet to hear the gospel. I mean, why worry about the far-flung tribes, you know, 100, 200 people and all this money? Why not just you know, use them on the mega cities? Millions to be saved there as well. Well, because of what the Lamb has accomplished, there will be people coming out from every tribe, every language, every nation, every people. Because of what the Lamb has done, this work and the work of our brothers and sisters as they... they at the coalface, at, at the advance of the gospel, at the front lines, making the sacrifices, where we are, where God has placed us, with our families and friends and our workplaces, every prayer, every intention to share the gospel, every sacrifice made, every rejection endured, it is not for nothing. Because the worthy one has triumphed, is able to break the seals, he is able to open the scroll, he is able to execute and accomplish God's purposes. And God's purpose is that his people from every tribe and nation and language and people will be purchased and won back to himself. And so this means that for us as a church family, we must persevere. 
We must not give up prioritizing the preaching of the gospel, the equipping and encouraging of each other to keep going on. We must keep on telling each other, let's give up on the small ambitions. Let's give up the petty dreams. Because all those things will one day lie in the dust. But God's purpose, God's purpose, His gospel purpose, will be the one that will succeed, that in the end will be accomplished. This is the one thing that at the end of the day will succeed and we all have the great privilege and opportunity to be part of this. And I just want to end by drawing our attention to what John tells us in verse 8, that the 24 elders who fell down before the Lamb, each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Strange thing to mention, right? I mean, the harp is the instrument that you play uh, for celebration, and obviously that's, that's fitting. You know, the life has triumphed. Yes, let's celebrate. Let's bring the harps out. Let's celebrate. But why mention the golden incense full of uh, God's the, the, the prayers of God's people. No, no, it's not a strange thing. Because if the Lamb has triumphed, if the worthy one is now able to break the seals, open the scroll, and accomplish God's purposes, then the prayers of God's people, the prayers of God's people as we pray, God, your will be done. God, your kingdom come. With one voice we pray this. These prayers will be answered. Because the Lamb has triumphed. Hallelujah! Hallelujah to the Lamb. Let's praise Him. Let's persevere in our prayers. Let's persevere in proclaiming the gospel. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.